and welcome to episode 289 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron and I'll be joined as always by Tom Kennett, Alex Jones and Jack Harper. We have something a little bit different for you today. Today we'll be taking a look at one of the Premier League's greatest hypotheticals. What if Steven Gerrard had joined Chelsea in 2005? Now before we talk about what could have happened, it's important first to just look at what ultimately did happen. Now late on July 5th, 2005, Chelsea Chiefs left the office with smiling faces, going home to bed with the expectation of signing papers the next day and securing one of the biggest transfers in Premier League history. Steven Gerrard would be heading to West London. Just six weeks after lifting the European Cup in Istanbul, Gerrard had handed in a formal transfer request at Liverpool, having apparently burned his bridges with the club with whom he had just raised club football's utmost prize. The player had anticipated a swift new deal to be presented after his exploits in Turkey, particularly as new contracts had just been agreed with Igor Biscan and Dietmar Haman. That didn't happen, and so the Premier League champions had sent an opportunity, with Jose Mourinho's charm offensive proving integral in making this deal a reality. All that remained was for a fee to be agreed, and with Liverpool even issuing a statement accepting a parting of ways was imminent. The assumption was that the Merseysiders would feel obliged to wave through an improved offer of around £35 million in the morning. Gerard was as good as a blue. A Gerard number 17 shirt was burned outside Anfield's Shankly Gates, much to the delight of the camera crew in attendance, and Judas and Traitor were spray-painted on the wall outside Melwood. Groups of fans had gathered around the training ground's gates, making clear their disgust. Gerard called the Liverpool club doctor that night to help him deal with an anxiety attack. His dad came over to talk him through his options and he decided he just couldn't deal with having the club he loved so much turn against him. He's quoted as pondering, Would it mean more to me to win two or three trophies with Liverpool or double or even triple that number with Chelsea? At 11pm that evening, Gerard asked his agent to telephone the club and confirm he wanted to stay. I have to accept the part that I played in the, the flirtation with Chelsea and, and the ego and stuff and the sort of uh, the, the, the coldness between me and Rafa and stuff. I have to mm. accept that my I could have handled that difference. Mm. Uh, maybe with a bit more experience or maturity or certain things to be said around me a bit quicker, we could have avoided some of the shite that got out or how far it did actually get and stuff like that. But there is relief there. Um, of course there is. But at the same time, I also think I probably needed to do that with Liverpool as well to make them realise that, you know, what they've got as well. Before we go back to 2005, it's worth going back to 2004. Chelsea had shown interest in Gerald for the first time and Liverpool had just finished 30 points off the top of the Premier League. Rafa had just joined Liverpool and during a chance meeting with Gerald's mother in a Lisbon airport, his first words were, does Stephen like money? Now, aside from this being incredibly rude and just an awful way to make your first impression, there were early signs that Rafa was considering life at Liverpool without their main man, as some around the club suspected he quite liked the idea of rebuilding the team with the money he would bring in. As mentioned before, £35 million was the rumoured fee, and that would have gone a long way. It was £20 million around the time this meeting was. Gerard didn't entertain it that time. A year later, brings us to where we are now. So... Let's put Chelsea to the side for one second. 
and try to ponder how Rafa would have spent this cash and who may have stepped up in Gerard's absence. So TK, as brutal as this may be to think about, I thought a good place to start was to look at the arrivals and departures of Liverpool after Istanbul. Now, departures-wise, Milan Baros leaves for just under £8 million. El-Hajj Juf gets out for about 4.3. Vladimir Smitser goes on a free. And then we get to the arrivals. Biggest acquisition of the window for Liverpool, Mo Sissoko is brought in for £10.8 million. Crouch comes in for 9.45. Pepe Reina for 8.82. Aga for 7.88. Mark Gonzalez comes in for around 2.2 million. Bolo's ending comes in off free. And Robbie Fowler is brought in on loan from Man City. Now, that's a net spend of around 22 million. And so I think we can clearly see that even with the resources that Rafa didn't have, he still was clearly trying to make his mark in rebuilding the team. Is there an argument that, say, Rafa's best business was almost done when he was working on a shoestring rather than, I'm not sure I would have trusted him with just under £40 million in 2005? Yeah, I somewhat agree. There was a certain like cap on Rafa. When it went above a certain threshold, you were terrified of what <laughs> he was going to come out with. The, the issue with Liverpool is there's signings throughout this time period are around that seven or eight million pound mark and by nature of those bits of business some of those are going to come off and some for every sort of rainer where you'd say well that's good business you're going to have someone like a Jermaine Pennant you know yeah. that's just not yeah Rayner, Dad Agger and Crouch aren't bad business between them great business the Crouch around one, 25 million at the time, Crouch was seen as a bit of a risk. Well, in I've got head, a bit I'm, more on that later. <laughs> yeah, and obviously because he was seen as still like a bit of a joke figure, a bit of a novelty. And yeah. he's basically had one good run at Southampton at this point. And that's coming up from the Championship at that point, isn't it? But that is also the supermarket that Liverpool are shopping in at this point. It's with, yep. you know, David Moores is still our owner at this point. Chelsea have just been taken over by a Russian billionaire. We've got well, the owner I, of Littlewoods. It's I've a, got... Chelsea's, uh, I've got Chelsea's arrivals and departures in comparison. Now, oh, Gerard has always said with this, and the people that are kind of around the transfer that ultimately didn't happen, or we wouldn't be having this podcast, they don't understand why, with the money that Chelsea were chucking about, they weren't more aggressive with this. Like Everyone around it feels that if they'd almost kind of pressured Gerard to some extent, they could really have got this over the line. Like the fans had already turned against him. It could have been quite easy. If they were as aggressive as they were with some other transfers, they could have got this done. So Michael Essien is brought in for £34.2 million. Uh, a bit of a comparison we'll have with Gerard uh, a little later. Sean Wright Phillips comes in for £28.35 million. Del Horno comes in for 10.8 And Lasana oh, Diara comes in for 4.05. Now, I won't get Jack's opinions of all of those players. Again, if you go way back on our feed, you'll find that last year, the year before, we actually went through all of Chelsea's business from when Roman came in to now. And Jack was maybe a bit softer on some of these players than we were. But then if you listen to our Manchester United one and you hear Connor's analysis of some of the United players, you'll you'll hear a difference there for sure. He took it to another level. Jack, Chelsea end up 
with a, fi- a minus 51 million net spend that summer, you managed to get in about 4.3 million for Thiago Mendes. Scott Parker brings in eight and a half. Matea Kesman brings in eight million. Mikel Forsell goes to Birmingham for four million. <laughs> what a sale. I used to love Forsell. Yeah, well, so oh, this, is the, this is the thing. If we look now at how Rafa may have spent the money, I've got some things that you just look at the business that was going on around the time and some where we know that there were moves that Rafa kind of had in place that ultimately they don't get over the line. Now, Patrick Vieira joined Juventus that summer. Is there a world in which Rafa manages to convince him to join? Because part of the issue with him leaving Arsenal is much like what kind of drove Gerard to, sit to this situation. The contract offer just came in a bit too late. And so by that point, he feels disrespected enough that, okay, you're maybe just trying to keep me because you can't get anything better. I don't know what stories you've heard, TK. You hear stories of Jose, on the other hand, who's about as persuasive as it seems to get in the market. Is, is Rafa really that guy who you get him on the phone and that's enough to kind of get the deal over the line? No, not at all, I don't think. I think he's... I think he would feel he doesn't have to. I think because if you don't <laughs> sign instantly, then you're not the guy, which kind of belies the fact that people like Klopp and Mourinho and various other managers who have all achieved a lot all do still go that extra mark. And it's, yeah. I think numerous things on this, you see where Rafa is a very good manager, but where he has very clear shortcomings. So it's more likely if you go into Arsenal, you bring in Edu, who joined Valencia on a free that summer. <laughs> the Yeah, it's that sort of thing. I mean, we forget at this point, Arsenal are at that point still, what is it, a year removed from having won the league? Yeah, we've won the and, league and then we've just won the FA Cup that summer. And then you, you're second to Chelsea around this point and Liverpool are absolutely mile off. So we, we're in a different remit of sort of a, it's a very different areas that the two clubs find themselves now. I guess kind of how United are now. Now, United, regardless of what Liverpool fans will say, whether the gap is as big or as small as some may say, are the two biggest teams in the country in terms of pull. Um, so there should have been some ease in getting players into the club that even with the club in this situation, you had almost no right to be getting. Now, Ruud van Estroy had fallen out with Fergie at the same time. <laughs> Is there a world in which he's that pissed off with Fergie that he says, you know what? I'm not ready to go back abroad. Why don't I go across? Why don't I go across to Liverpool and I'll really show him? That would have been stunning because I fucking hated that man. <laughs> and I've, how quickly I could have turned. But he benched him in the League Cup final and supposedly that's just, that was all it took and then they they fell out from there. Yeah, I, rem- I remember he was in the hunt for a, a golden boot and I think Fergie dropped him as well. So that was a pretty savage one. But but no, yeah, we were, if you look at even the, the windows prior to this one, where Liverpool aren't in the the market for that. They're signing players like Cinema Pongol and other things yeah. like that. They're kind of, if you look at all of them, they're kind of, uh, there's a chance that this guy might come off, but he probably isn't. It's, everything's a little bit like that rather than any sort of proven entity. The next time they do is when probably when Torres comes through the door, really. Well, I tried reaching out to both Liverpool and Chelsea fans in preparation of this podcast through Reddit. Now, we can see a difference here <laughs> in that Liverpool fans responded, I think I had about 60 replies and I was asking how they think Rafa would have spent the money. 
the majority were very negative. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> think that much would have come of it. Um, the Chelsea admin actually removed my post within about 30 seconds. So wow. if there was any direction as to which was a nicer club, Chelsea don't do themselves many favours. <laughs> Not in my book anyway. Um, they weren't prepared to help the podcast, but there we go. Now, Rafa wanted to replace Xabi Alonso with Gareth Barry in 2008. Is there any chance they go in for him two years earlier? Did Rafa have that much faith <laughs> that he says, you know what? Xabi and Barry, that's not too bad. No, I think I don't think Rafa was yet in love with Gareth Barry. I think that, <laughs> that is a love affair that comes later. Uh, it probably would have been someone of that ilk, though, which when we sort of asked the question of who would have replaced him, who would have stepped up, I, I don't think it would have been pretty. Now, Rafa actually pulled out of an agreed deal for Danny Alves this summer. He felt yeah, that yeah, Liverpool yeah. were better off choosing to sign Crouch and Pennant with the same cash. Maybe with more money, if Rafa is all about the rebuild, they get this one done. Or after Marcelo, what is he now? The most the most successful fullback in club history? Yeah, he's won everything, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky thing. Him coming into a Apache Liverpool team do some of the flaws that he had probably certainly early in his career does that all unwind for him in the Premier League as well I'm not sure it's the same as going it could into have that been he has team. more room to grow the fact that he is in this Liverpool team and with Rafa's uh, let's say defensive mindedness yeah I think I think that would have been a killer for him I think I know what you mean he probably in theory should have got better maybe defensively in that regard but that freedom that he ends up having when he makes the Barca move just makes him into the player he is. Uh, I, I don't know what Rafa would have done. He'd have, been, <laughs> he'd have been so confused. It is quite mental that we're speaking about this Liverpool team in this way about six weeks after they have just won the Champions League. <laughs> but that is the point of that team, isn't it? it was like, yeah. How, yeah. how the hell did this happen? It doesn't make any sense. And the likes of Barros and Smitsa have played a part in that and are being moved on without question. So, well, obviously these are like shit. We've got to get rid of them. Yeah. We'll bring in Robbie Fowler in his mid-30s, thank you. And if you've brought in Fowler and Crouch in this summer, another one that seemingly could have got over the line, Rafa had put the wheels in motion for a move to sign Sergio Aguero, a then independiente, independiente wonder kid. Um, he was being wanted by all of the top clubs in Europe, uh, particularly the Premier League. He's even spoken about, he thought this move was going to happen. He went into that Champions League final as a Liverpool fan. He says, I watched the Champions League final and I celebrated every goal as if it was for Independiente. Atletico then agree a fee of £17 million and Liverpool deem that to be too much for a teenager. With more money on the table, does Rafa have that level of trust or does he still turn to Peter Crouch? Christ alive, this is a trauma podcast. <laughs> this is, what are we doing? Oh... I, I think that is a just pretty brutal case of us not being able to get something over the line. I, having more money, yeah, maybe that does, maybe that would have helped. But I think if they're scared about signing as teenager, for that, I don't think having more money is necessarily going to help with that. Do you think we just get essentially more signings like what you did pay? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think, rather I think that's than it. kind of investing it in one particular player. Yeah, I think in a, we would like to repackage it as we'd be in for a different caliber of player. We'd probably just get more of the same. Well, Luis Figo was linked with a move to Anfield that summer after mm-hmm. they won the Champions League. Uh, Gerard on the way out. Maybe he sees this as a place where he can go in and prove that he still has it at the top of his game. He's leaving Real Madrid. I think he's 31 at that stage. Rafa does love an experienced player. He does say that the second he set foot in Milan, that was ultimately it. But maybe if Rafa was able to put on a bit of a charm offensive, Luis Figo comes in and steps into Gerard's shoes. You keep using Rafa and charm offensive in the same sentence (laughs) without seeming to understand the mistake. He charmed the Newcastle fans. Yeah, yeah. It's a different, different caliber of uh, trying to get Luis Figo is a slightly different to <laughs> yeah. appeasing Newcastle fans who are sick of Mike Ashley. The one one of do... the ones that was leaked constantly with the Gerard thing was the idea that we were going to get Guti from Real Madrid. Okay. Um, and there was obviously some... We were getting linked with pretty much every Spanish player at that point because well, what else are we going to do? Obviously, we have a Spanish manager, so we couldn't possibly sign <laughs> any other... Much in the same way as Arsenal started getting with every French player once yeah. Arsenal Wenger was To there. be fair, Wenger did his best to live up to that. Rafa did as well. Just not very good Spanish players often. The one, People are me. The one that Rafa, if he was going to spend a bulk of any money that you did bring in, that he really wanted to spend it on was Simao, who just scored 22 goals to fire Benfica to the title. This that one was, was a deal that literally looked done as well. It was apparently agreed a few times, and then every time it would be agreed on the Benfica side... Liverpool would try and haggle it down a few million, thinking that, look, the player wants to come here, so we'll do it. And then in turn, every time the other side think that it's confirmed, the agent or the club would say, well, you know what? In bonuses, we want an extra two and a half million now. You've messed us around. We want the few million. And it would just go back and forth until both sides decided it just wasn't worth it anymore. If you want an idea of how close that deal came, I, uh, I went around my cousin's house, and this was a few months after the event. And you know, at that point, if you're on FIFA, you would like do the yeah. transfers yourself yeah. in season. <laughs> so he had transferred him, hadn't even thought about it. And I'm playing as Liverpool. I was like, Samal, what the hell is he doing? He's like, well, he plays for you, then. He's like, no, no, that didn't happen. I was like, I fucking wish we'd signed Samal. He's a player. Yeah, the and you've just quoted his name. I don't have it in front of me. Whoever was doing your transfers at the time did a, spoke to Sky Sports. And he said, look, we we think this one's going to get over the line ultimately. We've just got a few more things to iron out and then he should be a Liverpool player. I would Any sort of flair player I would have cried out for. All the Rafa's signings, you were just watching and think, can we just get a bit of pace or something? Yeah. Rafa? <laughs> something. SEN is the obvious one. There's a lot of Liverpool fans and a lot of people that think SEN was the one where if Gerard goes the bulk of the money is going to go on bringing SEN into Liverpool. He was linked with a lot of clubs at the time. Chelsea do get it over the line. You've got to think as well, Chelsea having the same issue that City have and that Newcastle will have now, where 35 million or 34 million that Chelsea pay was the maximum they were ever going to ask for. If Liverpool are coming in for that deal, they're probably doing a lot more haggling. There's going to be a lot more weaseling down to every last pence, and they're probably going to get four or five million off that. Would the At this best point, point in time, Chelsea are spending money, though, aren't they? So yeah. They, so they are thinking, well, they'll do something stupid. Yeah, because, I mean, we're going to talk about the Chelsea team in a second, but you've got to think if they do sign Gerrard, they're not signing SEN because they do already have Lampard and Makaleli. <laughs> and they've already you never know that clever at that point. Yeah, they've burned <laughs> a few, through a few Verons, etc. 
would that have been the best way to replace Gerard if that was the case? Alex has experience of Spurs trying to replace Bale. I know when we were talking about Harry Kane and his potential move last window, we kind of came to the conclusion as much as it may seem sensible to spread it across three, four, five players, it doesn't always work like that. The transfer market isn't that simple and you should, you're probably better off paying more for the more reliable guy. Can you, can you think of a time of where it's worked? Cause I, I can't, I can't think of it. What spreading the cost. Yeah. Like a big, mm. like a, you know, a, a bail going no, in. And no, we thought... I, I can't think of a single time. Go back to our preseason predictions and just about everyone bought into Villa were going to be better now they'd sold Grealish. Mm. And to yeah, be fair, not, not a lot true. changed, I guess. Well, true. actually, they did get better. They, they survived relegation, what, the year before. So they got better, but they did change management. So hard to know exactly uh, how that one panned out. It probably would have been to answer your question. But again, Liverpool weren't in the in the business of getting players like Michael Essien. And I don't even think with that money burning a hole in their pocket, I just don't think you'd back them to pull that sort of deal off at that point. <laughs> and and throw in the context of he ends up going on striker, it's Leon, isn't it? In order to get Leon his move to Chelsea. I think it's one of them. And and Leon are also a top team in France at this point. So I don't I don't think he's gonna do that for a Liverpool move. I think he's doing it for the Chelsea move. Jack, perhaps one for you to consider when Torres joined Liverpool in 2007, he was quoted as crediting Gerrard as being one of the major reasons for him joining. If Gerrard is at Chelsea, do they get that move over the line? And does he start in the same form? I mean, you probably had your bets and say, yeah, that he wouldn't, hmm. if he did get over the line. And I think it's more the Liverpool thing. I mean, how true is that myth that he wore he never walk alone inside his captain armband at Atleti. Like, is that? I remember everyone around the school playground saying that back in the day it, as, he, as he signed. It is a thing. That that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, how much or how little it really means to him, I, I guess I don't know. It's hard to tell. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, well, that that's the thing. I mean, I think it's more of a Liverpool thing at the time. Um, he also had tattoos in Elvish, didn't he? So maybe the bloke we just shouldn't <laughs> trust what he's got on his body. Just the Legolas <laughs> guy. Um, I think he would have started in that in that form. I think, obviously, the main thing here is how Lampard and Gerrard would have... We're, we're, we're going to get on to that, so don't, don't you uh, no, be breaking jump, up my I sections. Jump, I will not jump again. <laughs> I think he does come to Chelsea in that sense then. I mean... So does the striker curse... When does that kick in for Chelsea? Is there a point at which you say, right, that was the moment the Chelsea striker curse is, is, kicked in? It's been there ever since Jimmy Floyd Hasbank left. And like it's, we've had two anomalies with Drogba and Diego Costa. And, and, then he, and even Drogba looked like he yeah. would be at first. <laughs> it, yeah, Drogba had the curse to begin with and then shook the curse. Um, the Kesman curse. That's called the Kesman curse. That's where it starts. I mean, we had uh, Kesman and Robin and they'd like wear, someone would wear a mask to stand for bridge and pretend they're Batman and Robin. <laughs> that was the most one-sided... Like, they're carrying that part of the shit. <laughs> yeah, I've ever seen. <laughs> kind of like the sheer of Sutton ones like well someone's doing the heavy lifting in <laughs> yeah. this partnership 100% I mean you talking about Del Horno before he, he makes my blood boil as well but yeah I think yeah I think Torres would probably 
have a look at that Liverpool squad. It all depends on obviously who's replaced with. But you're not going to get that same engine, that same Mr. Liverpool kind of Roy of the Rovers feel. And you'd look into that midfield and think, who's going to be feeding me here? As a striker, that's what you'd be looking at, I'd assume. that You look into that midfield and think, right, where am I getting the goals from? And if you're looking into Liverpool's team at the time versus Chelsea's, I think you'd probably hedge your bets and go to Chelsea. It may, it may be that he goes to Liverpool first, he signs for Chelsea after, and the connection that him and Gerrard have at Liverpool just kicks in straight away. There is no... Yeah. There is no uh, laughing stock Torres at Chelsea. He's actually just a huge success. We're all saying 50 million. Well, it's a bargain. I think it's a system thing, isn't it? Like, that's what it boils down to. Liverpool's. I don't. I think we've just described a curse. <laughs> which negates the system I would say yeah <laughs> I mean when you watch Torres on that initial run in his games at Chelsea like, you thought that man has had a hex on him <laughs> nothing's going right this man that it's clip great. of him going around the keeper and I'm actually oh, in shock God. every time that he misses still like you know it's coming but it still gets you it's, it's like when I watched bleak. The Woman in Black at the cinema the second <laughs> time and it still made me jump <laughs> there has never been a clearer kind of definition of space jamming ever before <laughs> than him. Last so one here. The, maybe the point sorry. on that, though, the point on that, though, Jack's touched on there, is that for all the talk of the money Liverpool would have by selling Gerrard, I think the ability to attract a player is just so... Once you've got rid of the, the only world-class player you have at this point, I just don't know how you sell the club to another top player that you're trying to bring in. I think they're looking around going, what am I supposed to do with this? It's usually money, isn't it? And Liverpool weren't going to offer... Like, they don't want to offer it to Salah now. They weren't, they, they, yeah. Their wage structure is a lot different in 2005. And at this point, they, they just don't have that much money. So they had at that point. So, And it becomes a self-perpetuated problem. Once you don't have the one world-class player, you can't attract the next one. And you find yourself in a basically in a firm of puddle. The biggest victim in all this is once Gerard does sign a new deal, they tear up the renewal for Igor Biscan and he's packed, he's sent out the door. <laughs> what could have been? Uh, last one. I mean, Balak signs for Chelsea in 2006. Is that a case again where why would he join Liverpool at that stage? If you look, if you're looking a year sooner. Sure. Yeah, you're definitely thinking why would he? Everyone was shitting themselves. That was a hell of a free pickup for Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah, does, does, he, I wonder, being, does he still sign? Ended up being not bad for them, but wasn't. It that's quite exactly what how you describe it. It was just a just good. It was a good. It sign. wasn't what ba- you thought you were getting with Balak. Exactly, it that, that, you, was it? Yeah. you thought you were getting what we didn't get with Gerrard. We thought that's what mm. we thought we were getting at the time. Yeah, and then it turned out to just be okay nothing more yeah. than that. I saw a Twitter thing recently with people discussing whether he was a Chelsea legend or not. And in there, they were discussing who, who was better at Chelsea, him or Fabregas, which I thought was fairly cut and dry. Jeez. That's the yeah, Fabregas walks that. It's like <laughs> the Is there anyone that you can see in Liverpool's team at the time where we assume they would add people with that money? But is there anyone yeah. you think does assume the responsibility that Gerard has? Because as much as Carragher may be the next kind of leader in that team he's not dragging you through games it's very tough to do that from centre-back Van Dijk aside mm. yeah so, and is Xabi going to put the team on his back I, I, I'm not so sure no I'm not sure he's that type of player and he's still relatively young at that point as well he's not yeah. the Xabi Alonso that people people know so no outside of that in terms of quality or in terms of character I don't really know 
who else is going to be able to do that in that squad, to be honest? No, you're basically relying on Crouch scoring more goals faster <laughs> faster than he does. Oh, that, that drought he was on when he first joined the club. <laughs> that wasn't fun. Frank, you mentioned about Stevie in the Premier League. Now, there was always that talk with England. Yeah. Can Stevie and Frank play to what, what was your take on it? Should only one of you have played, or could you have maybe changed it differently, or, or a manager done something differently with the two years? I, I think there were times when he could have done something different. I, I, I certainly will take personal responsibility if ever I don't reach levels, and I certainly, at times of World Cups, I think uh, England games, it's, it's difficult, it's high level, and sometimes I'll be honest enough to say personally, I don't want to talk for Stevie, but I think there were definitely times when I think um, that we could have been managed better, there could have been a way to get the best out of us. When we were both in our prime, uh, playing very regularly for Liverpool and Chelsea in the Champions League, or scoring goals, being involved heavily. Uh, we went away of England sometimes and you're playing a 4-4-2, Stevie's asked to sit, Stevie's on the left. Do you oh, think I a lot had... of it was formation-wise? I think a little bit. I mean, I played with Capello for two or three years in the, hold, in the holding role as such, as a two, you know, so a little bit of a chance to go forward, but when, and I wasn't playing that for Chelsea ever. So I, mm. I think there, there was an element of that. And, um, but, you know, it was always a team thing, and you know because you were there, and, and Gaz knows from, from playing for England for as, as long as time as we did, virtually, but it's... There was something missing that I felt when I look back at my England career. I think, uh, I don't know what it is, maybe we play against each other out every week. There's a little groups, so Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea. And probably when you're, I don't know, Argentinian and they're all playing all over the world, they come home and there's a big family and there's a different spirit. Mm. And I'm not sure we always managed to, to get that together. Steven Gerrard played alongside Frank Lampard 71 times for England. In that time, they won 46, drew 15 and lost 10. They combined for a goal once. Sven-Goran Eriksson, following a 6-0 thrashing of Jamaica, said, People have doubts about Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard playing well together, but I think it's incredible that anyone can doubt that. While Zlatan Ibrahimovic said in 2012, If Lampard and Gerrard played together in the same club, nobody would ever talk about Xavi and Iniesta. Other than Sven, it's fair to say that nobody ever spoke glowingly of the partnership that we did see, but Jose clearly thought he was a better manager than the Swede and was prepared to give it a try. I don't know why Jose thought that at first. I think that's very arrogant of him to think <laughs> that he could do a better job than Sven could. But Sven began to play Hargreaves behind Lampard and Gerrard in 2006, and we got a sense of what might have been, or certainly what the methodology was if you wanted to get the best out of both men. Jack, if we look back now at what Jose had in mind, do you think Claude McAuley was likely the key to making the pairing work? I think he was the key to making most things work in any team in, in the world at the time. I think he would have definitely done the heavy lifting to allow them to kind of be free spirits almost. I think it was, you look at the Premier League as well, it's a very different era where we live in a time now where Bar the top two clubs, anyone can kind of beat anyone. Like it, it's it's a lot closer athletically and like drill wise. I look back at some of the highlights from that era and half time I can't believe some half of the like Premier League footballers because <laughs> the, the whereas you see like really drilled two banks of four now um, or a low block, sometimes you'd see like a defense split in pass and like the team would just be completely spread about all over the pitch. <laughs> it's just crazy, um, which. You would you would say that would really benefit Lampard and Gerald at that time because you can have Makalele just sitting in mopping up and then they could just be anywhere on the pitch and be drilled week in, week out, day in, day out on 
how who goes, who stays, like a rotational. And I think as well, it comes down to a, like a personality clash as well, where you've got there's going to be a rivalry between Gerald and Abba because of the Liverpool Chelsea rivalry that happened in that era. And not only that, you're always going to be thinking when you're playing alongside someone in a similar position, I'm better than you, and you're going to be going for it. And you're going, not going to be passing for them. As you said, they've combined for one goal previously. Yeah. And they're going to be trying making a, putting a stamp on the game for their own name yeah. and try not let the other person shine. I mean, I think we've all probably played in team or worked in teams where there's someone of a, a similar ability level to you thinking, I am better than you, but hands down. And I'm going to do my <laughs> best to show you up here. Um, and it, I imagine it probably happened with them too. And even without the Charles Liverpool rivalry, so if they played in the same club, that completely changes that dynamic, I feel. They're, they're winning things together week in, week out, winning things domestically. And then that, that would translate onto the pitch for England, I'm sure. Yeah, we, we see far more now how effective an eight is in football. In fact, we're starting to see the death of the number 10 and we have done for like the last five, six years. And that's why there'll be a market for someone like Gundogan this summer, even with his injury worries, De Bruyne's able to have more influence on a game. Even John McGinn, I don't want to be disrespectful here. But he's, <laughs> he's linked with clubs probably above the level of his ability because of the position that he's able to play. Now, Lampard and Gerrard as eights, which I imagine we're all imagining that would be the system that Jose would have uh, put out there in some regard. That that would have just been cash money. Like Much as De Bruyne and David Silva could combine in a midfield that Fernandinho anchored. We're not saying that Makaleli isn't a better player than Fernandinho. And I take Lampard and Gerrard over De Bruyne and David Silva. So if they're playing together on a daily basis, like Jack said, you'd hope that if there's any ego at all, it's, it's healthy. It's not uh, counterproductive. And look, maybe by the end of that, England or Sven or whichever managers follow, take the lead and we get the best out of these two guys. If you'd back anyone as well, Jose's got the zeitgeist at this point. So everything he seems to touch seems to turn yeah. gold. Um, and if, if you look at how Gerard talks about that, Chelsea chasing him, he does seem genuinely flattered that someone like Jose is after him. And he does seem to be sort of a, a bit misty-eyed when thinking about it. So Jose wrote him a letter after he retired. And apparently you walk into his house, the first thing you see on the left-hand side framed when you walk through a door is his letter from Jose kind of summing up his career and how much he appreciated everything he did for the game. Yeah, there's always been this, this odd relationship between them. I don't know. So. They had that, they went on um, some show, didn't they, with Claire Balding, I think, was hosting it. And they <laughs> they just got uh, an hour or so of just stroking each other under the table. Like, it's very weird because Gerard's only recently <laughs> retired at that stage. Um Gerald also confesses on that. He's, he's a bit hurt because Fergie said he wasn't a top, top player. I was like, I think you can probably dismiss <laughs> the Man United manager. I think you can Not, probably get over that one, Steve. I think you even look now and it, it just feels so ridiculous that we were playing 4-4-2. Like a 4-5-1 with England at the time, which kind of came into fashion after 4-4-2. That was people, I'll branch out a bit, but not too much. Even if you'd put like skulls in behind Lampard and Gerrard, you shift Beckham oh, out God, to the I'm right. Done. You've got Owen or Rooney up top. That would have been fantastic, but internationally we were just wedded to this 4-4-2 during the peak of these guys' careers. It's because you've got the Bex factor, haven't you? Whipping in crosses. Like, yeah, so shift him out to the right. I mean, he was. He was on the right. Yeah, he, he was on the right. 
And then to crowbar them both into the team, he put Paul Scholes left mid. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually Ridiculous. remember that. Was it against Mexico when he first trialed it? We had the stripe down the right-hand side of our shirts. And Scholes scored a free, free kick. Hit. I feel like I remember that. Um, Surely Beckham's not on the pitch if Skulls is taking a free kick. No, that's think, cr- more criminal than anything else we've mentioned in this <laughs> podcast. If so, I think, I think Beckham's gone off at that point. But I look back at again talking about going back to previous styles. We Beckham would get over the halfway line and be crossing it into someone in the box. How often do you see that now? Well, when you got Crouchy in there, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Hodgson it, does eventually try the 4-3-3 but it's when both players have kind of lost the bulk of their their athleticism so it didn't really work it shouldn't really have looked how sort of sounds a bit ridiculous but we were kind of fairly tactically naive at the time 4-3-2 was was the done thing Fergie's obviously had a lot of success with United so that's the, the blueprint that people tend to work off really that was the default thing and anything off that was seen as a little bit adventurous and the problem for England is they would try something once it would be a disaster and then they'd just be so terrified they'd never do it again i, I look back on you're 100 right with the tactical naivety because you look back at these free-flowing ronaldinho and kaka and like kind of early 2000s late 2000s compilations of these star players yeah. and they'll pick the ball up at the edge of their area and they'll run through a player every 10 yards like it won't be <laughs> like it is now where to have like a really to grab a game by the scruff of its neck in inverted commas, you got to do like an Mbappe where you're scoring every goal against a really well drilled team. Whereas back then it was like look back in versus Greece and he's turning players inside his own 16 yard box, sprinting for 15 meters, coming up against another player randomly. It's like a school game. So I think it was easier <laughs> to get the tag of grabbing the game by the scruff of its neck in the Gerard and Gerard in Lampard era. Jampard, what, what a... Uh, <laughs> you just made a thing. Is that what, just... a mi- what a mix match I put there. We'll talk about the, the legacy of both guys in, in a little bit, but yeah, it, it is a thing where, and we see it in basketball at the moment, where players almost don't get credit unless their team get in a hole and they single-handedly drag them out of it. Like you're punished for being in a good team. Because if you're not doing the most in there then it's okay the, the team did it and it may be more so in basketball because there's less players there but I yeah i mean it. no you definitely you definitely see it in like the city team now individuals rarely get as much credit because the team's such a high functioning team that's why it's so weird when you probably, see these awards because <laughs> they just don't know what get, to do probably never get their full reward. by contrast in his club career that was kind of the thing gerald was getting credit for was that look he look at what he's playing with and he yeah. is still doing something here mm. Basically, my defensive Bukayo Saka this year. <laughs> um, before we go through kind of the England tournament exits with Gerard and Lampard, I, I guess we're talking about Sen being replaced by Gerard in this kind of uh, 2004, 2006-ish Chelsea side. So Gerard would likely still have assumed more defensive responsibility than Frank. It's not like we're going in and we're saying Gerard Lampard. They're sharing. They've got exactly the same tactical roles. Like Gerard would probably played a little deeper, a little closer to the six, and Lampard is still he could be the guy that you're going to want making the late runs to the edge of the box. It's just not going to be as plain and simple as we've got a defensive guy here. You two go out and do your thing. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think you wouldn't sacrifice his Frank's natural instinct of just being able to pick out the net. You wouldn't do that, even for Gerard. I don't think, because I don't think we've seen a midfielder that's had that instinct ever since. It was so unique. Like You see great midfielders these days that score some great goals, but you don't see them consistently just popping up in the right place for these cutbacks, for these 25, 40-yard strikes sometimes. You have commented about how the game is different now. I guess it's just not yeah. as stretched in a lot of the yeah, scenarios. And it's a, there's a lot more bodies in front of the goal as well, I imagine. But you look at Gerard, and I think that his real strengths is almost that quarterback role where Frank, you definitely his strengths come in the... He can play a pass, don't get me wrong, but when he gets into the final third, he just comes alive. Whereas Gerard, just from an outsider's perspective, looking at his Liverpool days... I always just imagined him picking up the ball on the half, turn on the half and just driving the team forward and then finding a pass to Torres. That's that's how I envisage all of his um, one of you Liverpool could, career, pretty much. One of you can correct me here because what you hear about when you hear the kind of rhetoric around Gerard and Lampard for England is that it didn't work because both guys just wanted to get forward at all times. I don't remember it being quite that simple. There's this narrative that both guys were ultimately just charging forward and standing on the edge of the box. And that was where every mistake was. Uh, they weren't the only reason that we weren't winning uh, competitions or even just big matches. I think it was a little, a little deeper than that. I think they weren't giving clear tactical roles, at least as far as we could see on the field. And both guys just weren't playing in the systems that we were trying to implement. It, it wasn't that Gerard was saying, well, if Frank's getting forward that much, I'm getting forward <laughs> that much as well. He, he can't get more goals than me. It just wasn't like that. And Maybe it comes into, like we said earlier, about the tactical naivety of the time where it was all about fire and passion that won games back then instead of tactical nows. And you look at it now and we talk about Lukaku just doesn't fit the system and you can just write him off and just say right doesn't fit the system or whatever maybe that was just what happened back then they just didn't fit that England system um or they didn't fit it well enough to play together so we didn't engineer it enough around them to unlock that um you've got a few things as well where like international football is that slower paced often possession based neither of these guys really want to do that look at their club level it's all action. It's up and down the pitch. It's they're not just going to get on the ball no. sideways passes. And then I think I've referenced his appearance on Sky Sports a few times, but I think we've seen everything from Sven to indicate the bloke was a bit of a charlatan. I mean, he wasn't <laughs> really doing anything. I don't think tactically with these players. Those so I imagine it was podcast right opening. It was just look, Stevie and Frank. You go in and you go in there and cook, and they're probably <laughs> looking thinking. A bit of guidance here, you know, whatever you might say about Rafa, he's a he's a good tactician. Obviously, Frank's working with Jose. And they must be going from what they're working with at club level to working with Sven, thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. it's just arrogance. Well, I've got... And the if... whole balance of this thing never was really that... If you look at when people used to go, oh, well, Skulls, Gerard, Lampard, Beckham, how did that not work? No one's doubting those four qualities, but it's not like that's a midfield you would design because they're not complementing each other. There's not a lot of pace or, you know, kind of getting past people there. It's a lot of similar, similar sort of qualities they're all bringing to the table. It was like primary school, wasn't it? Or just school in general, where you'd play for your Saturday league team at the weekend, have like some pretty decent standard of coaching. 
and then be coached by like a 26 year old art teacher <laughs> his only qualification to be teaching the football team is the fact that he's young and he's a bloke um and that it was basically like that it's kind of just right kids who's playing where right go out do your thing and that was the pretty much the extent of it and that's what i kind of see sven's figure as is the the 26 year old P, like PE teacher that's so, well, I, I always knew the key teachers. I knew he wasn't cut out for it when he referred to stepovers as the scissors. I was like, you can, <laughs> this can't, this can't work. Skulls as a ever... deeper line midfielder probably would have been better in international football because of the speed of it. Like, I think the there's difficult... a way you can get something out of those three midfielders in a system. The difficult thing with the skulls is people have repackaged him a little bit in the. At the time when he's being phased out by England, Frank's just started to take off at Chelsea, so they shift Scholes out wide. Scholes isn't yet really the sort of the deep lying guy who's running things as much for Man United. He's kind of from that early part of his career where he was a goal scoring midfielder. He's kind of slowly becoming that, but he's not yet that guy. So you've kind of got a, a bit of a disconnect in terms of which one is it. Whereas if we've got Scholes, probably. A couple of late, a couple of years later, before he retires from international football, because he thinks, "Why the fuck am I doing this?" <laughs> it probably could have worked out. You're right. We probably we would have seen him as a deep line midfielder. We put him in there, and Gerard Lampard ahead. It still might not have worked, but it would have been something interesting for sure. I've got the three tournaments where you can say these guys: 2006, 2008. The two guys are probably in around their primes. 2010 is probably the back end of that from uh, England standpoint. Now, 2006 is just a mess. Everything you read up about that, when I was reading about it last night, it seems worse than I even remember. Like, I don't recall the fact that they were publicly interviewing for Sven's successor while the team were preparing for the tournament. Mental. Like, they're flying out of camps to go and visit Scolari and other guys whose names I should have written down, but ultimately not too relevant here. And he is Portugal manager at the time, isn't he? Scott? Yes, he is. He says That's that he won't consider just... the approach because it would be unfair to, <laughs> to <reckon>? Portugal. <laughs> and we basically say, well, look, if that's the way you're going to be, look, we'll move on to someone else. We've got Steve McLaren waiting in the rings. This yeah, is it. The, they go around. through about four or five guys and then say, we've got this guy. We, we know him well. He's in the system. Steve McLaren's going to be our guy. And they're interviewing this guy in and around the tournament. Like, what, what would you do? What, how would you set this team up? What would you do here? Sven's just in his own little world. I mean, he brings Theo Walcott to this tournament, which I don't know what deal he had with Arsene Wenger, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to anyone else. Especially when Sven then goes, well, it would have been unfair to play him. Like, then what were you doing, Sven? I don't understand. Yeah, no one felt worse about that than Jermaine Defoe, I don't think. Although that Defoe has been and... slightly repackaged to, well, if Defoe was there, we definitely would have been doing better. Yeah, Defoe and I think Darren Bent is the top scoring Englishman up with either of those. And if he hasn't played a game, he goes, go on, get yourself in. So Gerard and Lampard start together in the 1-0 win over Paraguay. Same for the win over Trinidad and Tobago. Gerard is then benched for the Sweden game, which we draw. But there's just carnage in the last 10 minutes and you've just got a Joe Cole thronk somewhere in between. Um, oh, yeah. Both start in the 1-0 win over Ecuador and the penalties lost to Portugal. Lampard and Gerrard both missed in the shootout, so we don't have an easy thing to point out there. Perhaps most telling is that Owen Hargreaves gets man of the match in that game. Yeah, I remember he had an absolute stormer. That was yeah, horrible, and horrible. so when you're looking to Gerard and Lampard as two guys, they're up against 
Manish and Thiago in the midfield. I don't want to be disrespectful to those players. I don't think we're being uh, too hard on the pair here to say, Gerard and Lampard, you've earned the status that you have here. We're expecting you to take over this game. Portugal have a weird hoodoo over us, though. If you remember, it goes back to like 2000, <laughs> isn't it? When we lost in the Euros in 2000. These are dark times. Dark, yeah, they dark are. Time, it, it, like, we drew them every time, every major tournament. We lost every time as well, with, and we shouldn't have. Um, am I thinking clearly when I think either Sol Campbell or John Terry or vice versa just jumps on each other's shoulders and the ref's given it as a foul? That's uh, 2004. 2004 yeah. Campbell scores, doesn't it? Silver goal, wasn't it? Yeah, silver goal. That hurt. I think Portugal were the team that produced. I think Portugal were the team that reduced me to tears the most amount of times. Well, this <laughs> yeah. this was yeah, the really Rooney stamps game. Those two, those two tournaments. Yeah, and Rooney's coming in off the back of a broken toe, isn't he, at the end of the season? Yeah. Of course, because Chelsea's fault. <laughs> Owen, Owen uh, two minutes into the tournament, does his cruise ship. Yeah, yeah, he ruins his knee, doesn't he? So, Sweden. <laughs> the wags are going off. It's all yeah. carnage. Um, Mark Lawrenson decides to take it upon himself and grade the players in his own column after the tournament. <laughs> he, he gives Gerard a seven and Lampard a six. He ultimately says, neither did much wrong, but you'd expect more from two players of their quality. Euro 2008 qualifying is perhaps the greatest example that they weren't as bad playing together. And when you look at all the lost points in this campaign, we lost to Croatia with a midfield of Lampard, Carrick and Scott Parker. We lost to Croatia with a midfield of Steven Gerrard and Gareth Barry. I don't know what Rafa saw in that midfield that suddenly this turns them on after this. Um, we drew with Macedonia with a midfield of Lampard and Carrick. And then McLaren goes with three in the middle against Croatia, which is Gerrard, Lampard and Barry. Which, uh, yeah, the umbrella game. Oh, God. So I, I'm assuming that one just wasn't fit because the other guy is almost never on the bench when you look through the squads of those games where they do uh, lose points. But maybe they weren't very good playing together, but at the same time, the other guys weren't very good either. I think it's a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. It's just a serial underachievement, isn't it? It's kind of like that phenomenon... Mandela effect, where we think Messi's had a awful season this season. He's got forty goals and assists. It's maybe it's one of those where they just they didn't get this hit the same heights that they did at club level because they're doing two completely separate jobs. I think Liverpool was dragging a substandard squad to heights, and Lamps was free. Wasn't many heights in that time. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. And then yeah, yeah, Lam- Lamps is tapping in goals left, right, and centre and smashing in for thirty yards because he's got all these superstars around him that are creating these chances for him. Whereas you, that's not the roles that either of them are playing in the England squads. Like TK said, a lot slower, a lot less kind of box to box. Um, and just didn't have the same kind of standing, didn't need to do the same job. So they just didn't stand out as much as they did at club level. So, so many Hard games you'd oh, watch sorry. and think that they were, they were decent. It wasn't like they're bad but just nowhere near what you know they can do. So yeah. a different player, you grade differently because it's them. 
They do. And, and as you said there, Luke, the players who came in would rarely do anything to make you go, wow, we've got to drop one of these. We just kept having to play them because no yeah, one really stepped is, into the is terminally injured by this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Scott Parker, I mean, well, fair play for a bit of running around can get you these caps, but <laughs> the drop-off and the miss around Michael Carrick. I think if well, you if we got that Parker, that there was that spell at Spurs, and then you had prime Jordan Lampard, that, even that would have been somewhat interesting. He could have player in. of the year at West Ham, don't forget, in a relegated yeah. team. That spell, yeah, is the end of his West Ham time and then start of his Spurs career. He's a really good player there, but at this point, Jordan Lampard, I think, already somewhat on the decline. Well, people always say that, oh, well, Carrick was so hard done by here. <laughs> He's been able to play with both Lampard and Gerrard in games that meant something, this qualifying campaign, the fact they dropped points early on meant that almost every game did mean something and they meant more as they go on. Two of the last three games, Carrick plays a part in. So maybe United fans need to have a little look closer to home when they say this guy was so disrespected by England. The bloke was a bum. <laughs> talk about this guy now who's so underrated. He was so underrated. We knew this. Who? Like, knew he's this pretty fairly well. rated. We knew this then as well. Like when people would say that, oh, Carrot should be spoken about in the same conversation as Lampon Jarrod. But with what evidence are you making yeah, this ultimately, argument? Ultimately, saying that he was too good for Spurs then turned into meaning that he was better than he was. It was well, no, he was just better than Spurs. <laughs> and the uh, the thing was, I, I said before with him, it's not that he's a bad player, but the way he was talked about. I said there's the gold standard for what he did in that position was someone like Pirlo or prime Xabi Alonso. And then as soon as you compare him to them, it's like, well, that's a bit of a high grade, isn't it? Like, you're saying he's a world-class midfielder. So which, which one do you want here? Yeah, 20, 2010, which I actually think is the most depressing England campaign of all time. Like, that's worse than 2014. Lampard yeah, and Gerrard both yeah, feature definitely. against USA in the one-all draw. They both feature against Algeria in the nil-nil draw. They both feature against was it Slovakia or Slovenia, the Gerard Slovenia. game, uh, the Defoe game, that's the one, yeah. And they both feature against Germany. Now, there's a lot of thing, there's a lot of games that we can hold against them here. That Germany team, I think, even when you line the teams up on paper, that's not one where I'm looking at it and going, you know, we were better than them. We were just poorly coached. Like that Germany team, I think a lot of those players could have played to their best potential, yeah, and they were still going to do a number on us there, but just a dismal dismal campaign and trying to get yourself up from a nil-nil against algeria to then say well you know what it's the germans and we can do this against the germans we can turn <laughs> yeah. it on having having never done it in a major tournament previously like, <laughs> apart from 66 is just although yeah about 60 years ago we uh we beat west germany and we haven't really beaten them since up until <laughs> the most recent tournament but we can do it against them because it's the Germans. We would but scrape the, through yeah. the group, a group that we literally said would be easy. And we scrape through yeah. and we've got, yeah, we'll, we'll just turn it on on the day, obviously. We'll turn it <laughs> yeah. No evidence to suggest. <laughs> we'll pass the exam on the day. We've done no work, but I reckon we'll do it. Yeah. Two, two questions here then before we move on. One, do we bank on Jose and the subsequent Chelsea managers that follow to make Lampard and Gerrard work. Do any of us view this potential move for Gerrard and what if this had happened as saying, well, that was just never going to work. These two guys could not play together. I really think you put them in a competent manager's hands and as TK said, 
there was no hotter hands at the time than Jose Mourinho, really. Maybe Alex Ferguson, but to, for like new ways of thinking and new ways to win football games, he would have made that work somehow. And then he would have made him part of the bus a few years down the line. <laughs> but, I remember... Sorry. No, I was just going to say that I really 100% think that if you put them in any other teams that didn't have Sven and Steve McLaren managing them, you're going to get probably the best out of them. I remember Wenger being grilled. I think it was he hadn't signed a defensive midfielder again and he signed someone like a Cazorla. It wasn't Cazorla, but it was that kind of player. And they were like, how are you going to fit these guys into a team? And he said, well, good players can play together. And that was his answer. (laughs) (laughs) Now, United have proven since that's not quite the case. But you do have to think that if Lampard and Gerrard are together every single day, they make that work. That's going to be the best midfield in the country. Yeah. Whether you then bank on those those involved at England to recognise that and say, well, hang on a minute, we can see this working at club level. Why don't we work around that? I'm not convinced that happens, but there, there's not one part of me that looks at Lampard and Gerrard in a Chelsea team that's winning plenty of trophies and says, Gerrard, if anything, is a detriment to that team. Yeah, I agree. I think if England see them producing week in, week out at club level, I think they do look at it and they think, well, they're making so many chances for the rest of the team by playing this way. Let's try and mirror that because to try and replicate that kind of pairing of midfield for both, to have that spine of a club team at that level for an international setup, you'd be stupid not to, I think. Do you not think though, Jack, that if they are playing, if they are paying attention, there's nothing that leads us to believe they've at least tried to go in one direction. So say they've looked at Frank's goal scoring ability. And so they've, they've put the team together in a way that really gets the most of Frank's late runs into the box, or they've not put a team together that really makes Gerard the heart and soul of the team. And you work off him and he's the guy that is the unit in the middle and he's making everything tick. They don't do either of those things, which does suggest that if you're seeing every week that both these guys can do these things exceptionally, they didn't even try to go one way or the other. They just said, these two guys will work. I think the real failure from an England perspective is management. I really think that they trusted the best generation that we're ever going to see in an England shirt to some of the worst managers they could have possibly given it to. Like Steve McLaren was the number two to Fergie. And then... Had he been Middlesbrough manager at that point? I don't think he'd had. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. That, that's what got him the job. He'd, yeah, he'd done right at Middlesbrough. <laughs> but, but like, how has that happened for a start? And I will got... say these guys let Roy down. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! Didn't didn't <laughs> wasn't there a huge you. drive? Was wasn't there a huge drive behind um, an English speaking manager? There was. Yeah, that's why uh, Allardyce and Redknapp were the other, were the other names. Yeah, like, later on. It was like a, they criticised the communication skills of managers that we had previously. So because that that's why they wasn't working Capello. on the pitch. So the yeah, only, the only we just kept going from knee jerk reactions to one to the yeah. other. Right, get get okay, get <laughs> the only manager that I would really think would have backed, I would have backed out of all of the names we've just said there. I worried about. I didn't get it. it. Was probably Harry Redknapp. Oh no! This is such a ridiculous thing that people least, go to. What he would have been better than Roy at the time. Luke. Yeah, he would have. He would have been. He would have been better than both of them then. Oh, at the time, no, but that's a different time. Been Roy and Scalari, isn't it? It's a different. 
Different uh, Titan. I don't think Redknapp gives you much more than what than what Roy did. Defoe gets a few more caps, maybe. But actually, I would have quite liked Crouch and Defoe up top as England strikers. That would have been quite cool. Yeah, but you've got Prime Rooney there. <laughs> so who are you dropping? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> do you think, think that's team. what Redknapp's doing. Get him in that centre attack midfield position early. <laughs> Hudson Adoy's having to do where he's having to wait out so he can switch his citizenship. We, we don't turn to Almunia, which shows just how dark the time was for England. <laughs> wow. Nico Cranshaw, he's, he's doing that um, that program where they trace back your, your roots. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? Turns, turns out he was actually eighth in line to the throne at one point. So get in, son. That program's so bizarre as well. Cause I swear like half the people, they go back and they find out, yeah, your family were actually colonizers. Now, how do you feel about that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They get they get a white person on like, Family with slave owners, would you believe it? <laughs> Wouldn't have known. From a Chelsea perspective, now the fact that this move didn't happen means I guess you're going to have some kind of well, not even unconscious bias, you're going to have a conscious bias <laughs> against Gerard and towards yeah. some of these players. Gerard, you, you, you think you put him in there over, over SEN, who's the guy, and over Balak later on, that those kind of players. Yeah, are you confident that? If I asked you, if I gave you the points tally of Chelsea in those seasons, and we're about to get onto that, Gerard does a better job in that time. You th- you think the balance can be found? Yeah, I'd say so. I think he's just. Too, it would be too. He's too good not to. to be so fair. the answer is Lampard could play with Gerard. I feel so. Yeah. And it will be left to John Terry to take the penalty which could put the European Cup in his hands with one kick of the ball to give them the trophy. Oh, he's missed it! He's missed it! I think he clipped the outside of the post on its way past. Ronaldo is reprieved and the shootout will go on. It's 4-0. Man United dominated the majority of the following years in English football, right up until Alex Ferguson retired at the end of the 2012-13 season. The question here, as we've just mentioned, is whether the addition of Steven Gerrard here may have turned the tide and even potentially set up a decade of dominance in West London. Now, the most common side that Jose fielded for the next two years after Gerrard would have signed had... Terry and Cavalio in behind Makaleli, Del Horno and Ferreira as fullbacks with uh, Galas covering both sides. Petr Cech in goal, Drogbroker Johnson up top, Duff or Cole on the left wing and Robin on the right wing. So not a bad team at all, Jack. No, not at all. Very, very good. So 2005-2006, Chelsea win the league by eight points. So... We can say quite fairly there, that probably would have been a wider margin. Now, the FA Cup, this is where things start to get interesting in terms of if Gerrard had made the move. Liverpool win the FA Cup that year. Liverpool knocked Chelsea out in the semi-finals. And then he has probably his second most famous game in a Liverpool shirt in the final. Yeah. So is these the are the West, moments. The yeah. So these yeah. are the moments when Gerrard says... Well, I'd rather have won one trophy with that with us or won six, seven, eight with them. These are the moments that you do get onto. We're going to talk about legacy later, so we'll mention a little more about that game then. 
Although at that stage, if Chelsea have made it to the semi-finals, a Liverpool-less Gerrard team, we've mentioned TK about how you think they'd have spent the money. One is a question of whether Liverpool are in that semi-final. And secondly, Chelsea are a lot stronger going into that and probably get past you. Oh. And look, maybe West Ham show up on in the final and Paul Konchesky has the day of days. But <laughs> He nearly did. We're, we're fair that we're pretty sure Liverpool don't then win that trophy. They definitely don't win it, do they? It's just a <laughs> case. Do they get to that semi-final is a good question. They don't get past them. They definitely, Obviously, they don't They don't even win the final. On that basis, West Ham no. were better them on the day and Gerrard basically dragged them through again. Yeah. The League Cup, Liverpool and Chelsea actually both go out in the third round. Going out in the League Cup third round is mental anyway. <laughs> uh, but you go out to Palace and Charlton, respectively. Tough teams, especially back then. A I would like to make Charlton the case... Side. I would like to make the case that we were uh, we just weren't interested in the smaller trophies at that point, <laughs> but uh, I would struggle. Prime Alan Kirby back then as well, wasn't it? Probably not the year to talk down the League Cup either, TK. <laughs> 2006, 2007, another interesting year. So United win the Premier League. They finish six points ahead of Chelsea. Chelsea lose to Liverpool 2-0 at Anfield that year, and they draw with United twice. So we're into serious whataboutery here. But would you fancy Chelsea to find six points, six extra points across the season with the addition of Gerrard? This isn't a guy where we look through his career and we say, well, he could have got injured that year. This is a guy who's fairly consistent in the games that he racks up. You've got to think. You certainly probably beat them at Anfield. And if you can turn one of those United draws to a win... We've got a very interesting conclusion of the season. For sure, for sure. And like again, in those tough moments, like you said, when those games do get more interesting towards the end of the season, and you've got that powerhouse of Gerrard, who likes the big occasion sometimes. Well, one of the most clutch <laughs> players in, in Premier League history, or well, yeah. English football history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Is- you'd back it. When is Jersey sacked? Is it the following season after this? Halfway through 2007-2008. Right, Which yeah. I'm looking forward to discussing with Jack in a moment, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what this could, have been, this could have been a treble year, though, Jack. So United win the league, but you win the FA Cup with the worst final we've ever seen, and Chelsea do have a habit of that. Um, you win the league cup, but we've got a consolation in that John Terry's head's nearly kicked off his shoulders. <laughs> yeah. And a Gerrard year, Liverpool knocked Chelsea out on penalties in the semi-final of the Champions League. Yeah, Gerrard sets up Daniel Agger's goal before scoring for Rafa's side in the 2007 penalty shootout. And that's where Jeremy misses, I think, as well. I think he misses. Yeah, I was looking at your takers in this in this game. It is mental. Yeah, I know. I remember it. Run through them if you've got them. I was just going to look there and see if I could get them up, but I was worried about knocking my internet out. Jeremy yeah. was the name where I was like, what the hell has gone on here? And he Robin the, takes first, I think. Yeah, decisive penalty as well, Jeremy. And he, yeah. It's a weak one. They get saved by Pepe Reina. I remember that. And Liverpool just smash it after four penalties. They're through. Dirk yeah. Coit scores the one to take them through to the next round. None of this worrying about who's taking fourth or fifth at that time. No. And so... This is one of the... I'm, I'm not sure we fancy Chelsea against that Milan side in the final. 
who certainly have the bit between their teeth after what's happened uh, two years prior. But, I think you. I think you're probably on the edge of it again. That weird Chelsea Liverpool hoodoo. I think on the basis of it, on how we performed in the Champions League when we didn't play Liverpool, or just any English opposition up until yeah. that point, really. You play Liverpool a year later, to be fair. Yeah, and then we. It was one of the weirdest games I can ever remember. Yeah, I, I do remember thinking we're just going to beat them in the semi-final just forever now. This is just no matter what happens, we're just this is going to happen. That year was probably good for me where Chelsea beat us, so I could just get any get any sort of delusions out of my mind. <laughs> when when you look at that, I mean, would Liverpool have qualified for the Champions League if Gerard isn't there the year before to even have this semi-final? I know it's a major, major what ifs, but that is kind of the basis of of what it's we're good, doing here. So. It's a good point because Liverpool conferred the year before that and have a better yeah. year, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. But Gerard does play a pretty huge role in that. He scores yeah, a lot of goals exactly. that year. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult thing with because they're a building team. You think at this point under Rafa, but at the same time, it is basically built around that Gerard's going to have to cook, or else we're in trouble. Yeah, and you're living and dying by Rafa as well, and his transfer business does only get worse. <laughs> so yeah. you've got another two years of Rafa transfers on top of the Gerard money you've assumed being wasted. Yeah, yeah, fortunately so. 2007-2008, Gerard has another great year. Man United win it by two points, Jack. Chelsea need to find one more win across that season. And again, we're looking at Stevie and saying, you've got that in you, haven't you? All he has to be is clutch in one game. Yeah. That, that, did you say that was 0708? Yeah. I believe we need to beat Bolter on the last day of the season and we lose. <laughs> I, I believe it's, I, I'm almost yeah. positive that that, I think United won anyway, so it didn't matter, but there was a stage where United went behind and then we conceded two goals to Bolton at home. Um, and we ended up losing or drawing 2-2. I can't remember, but it sticks in my mind as one of the saddest days. Because they did another here. one of those, uh, what should we do with the trophy larks? Like, I'll be honest, lads, looking at these fixtures, you could probably leave it in Manchester. Yeah. United had like Wigan or something, wasn't it? I think you could probably leave it there on the off chance. It, it can sometimes be better, Jack. Just from what I hear, it's better to actually not have the hope of what could happen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm FA, bleeding out here. The FA Cup, Chelsea are eliminated by Barnsley 1-0 this year. I remember that. I was, <laughs> I think I was staying at a girl's house for like one of the first yeah. times ever and I was watching it on a like 15-inch pink screen in her bedroom. You weren't invited back. And I was fuming. <laughs> I was absolutely <laughs> raging and I went straight home afterwards. <laughs> Um, KODO the J ruined Jack's night. Yeah, did yeah, he play for at some stage as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's where he, where he sort of made his name, if you like, because yeah. that was they, the whole thing they, around it, wasn't it? With this guy, used to play for Cheltenham, by the way, every time yeah. they were beating these teams. I yeah, remember playing his, his Cheltenham on FIFA 2005, I think it was, and he was in the starting lineup and he just got all my goals. Weird, weird thing we do in the local area where we lay claim to you know. Obscure goal scorers or murderers. It's the only thing we <laughs> the only thing we do. And a cheese roll, come on. <laughs> Chelsea Barnsley not... going through 
Liverpool and Chelsea and then losing to Cardiff. Yeah. It's just a brutal, brutal FA Cup run. Chelsea are knocked out of the League Cup 2-1 by Spurs. I don't think they were too fussed about that. And I think that's the same year where Bentner comes on as a sub against Spurs in the semi-final and says, I've only been, I'm only coming on here because you're playing shit. And so Adebayo just butts him in the middle of the pitch. And then we lose 5-1. <laughs> the Champions League. You say Chelsea were knocked out the League Cup by Spurs? Yeah. Was this, when you say knocked out, do you mean Spurs won the, the final? Is that not what happened? <laughs> no, and, have, oh, have, yeah. I, uh, have I missed yeah. this? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you are. I didn't even consider that Spurs could win a trophy. Chelsea came second in the League Cup. That was painful. I don't know who won that year. Yeah. I, I didn't even consider it done as that. Sake. I was just looking through so many results. <laughs> didn't mean Christ too much to me. That's <laughs> so planned. It's so not, I mean, it's planned. not. I, I probably would have glossed over it, Alex, if I'd known. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was another meaningless one. So you're not just in the semi to then beat Chelsea. Fair play. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a bad look that TK's had to be the one to jump up there. Alex should have posted as this on his wall. You said it with such, you said it in such, like in such a calm, composed way that I was questioning myself. Like, not Alex is looking the... back, remembering he was celebrating the United uh, Premier good. League that year. Yeah, if I had intended that, it would have been the most. Incredible slipping under the radar move anyone ever made. Um, the Champions League final, then, Jack. Man United win on penalties. Is this as simple as to say Terry probably doesn't take a penalty if Gerard's in the squad? 100%. I mean, you look at it as well, and obviously the main contributing factor is Dropper being sent off and not being able to take the fifth penalty. That was one of the only penalties I've seen John Terry miss as well. It was just, he just, he sent him the wrong way. And like just 30 centimetres the other way and we win it. And I'm just, that, I still haven't been able to watch that game back. You think you'd have more respect for players slipping after that, but apparently not. Well, no, it just means (laughs) that we can get in on it now. It's not the most embarrassing slip. Oh, I'm not sure. Costing Costing your boy a team their first league in 30 years I would I would say you're it wasn't done reacting to that differently if 2012 doesn't happen yeah they're compensated by winning the Champions League yeah yeah there is 0-9-10 Chelsea win the league by one point 10-11 Chelsea finished second by 11 points yeah that was a weird season well 11-12 you you finish sixth uh hazard is fit all season and manages one goal uh if we go in there this is a guy that's better than salah apparently 11 uh, 12 did you say yeah God. not even better than alexis sanchez right, by the way hazard, up, but... he came in 12 13 11 12 oh sorry 12 13 you finish 14 points off the top maybe that's the year yeah Third, you finished third that year so it's a bit later down the line he saved his mediocrity for a bit later down the line but really we're looking and I, I don't want to just make you think here Jack we're saying that Gerard may have helped Chelsea to an FA Cup two Premier Leagues and a Champions League in that time if Chelsea had been a bit more aggressive with their uh, transfers that could have happened like it's not unfeasible to think that when you look at well, no, six points, points. Is, is the biggest distance that we've asked you to cover. After that, it's either a final or a semi or a Gerardless team in the semis. Yeah, I think, again, you'd back it, wouldn't you? 
you at least you at least back you to get what what have I said there one two three four trophies yeah I'm at least backing you to get two of those and if that's a Champions League and a Premier League you're laughing exactly <laughs> yeah tell you what when you posed this I thought because this Chelsea team is pretty successful anyway for how much difference yeah. is that going to make that's fucking crazy that's yeah a lot of full success they had some a couple of near misses in there that you'd say as you said he'd be probably a difference maker. Yeah, because the stats look worse when you read it for how many titles United won in a number of years when you tail off to a point when Chelsea aren't really your main competitors. It's like just after the Invincibles to 2010-11 when it's Chelsea and United effectively. Yeah. And yeah. in that time then, I just went up to when Fergie retired, but in that time you could have won all of those trophies. It, it It's mental. Yeah, for sure. And he, even Gerard's biggest critics i don't know even if you wipe out the premier leagues and you eliminate everything else and you say okay you're offering chelsea steven gerrard as part of their fa cup final team and you're offering them gerrard as part of the champions league final team i don't think many people are picking against them and that's not to just shit on that united team because that united 08 team is one of the best teams i've ever seen yeah but it's not like it was a goal-scoring game back and forth. Like, it's a tight game that they got over the line and on penalties. They weren't firing in the final either. So, Gerard may have made a big difference there. You throw him into that Chelsea team, and those are two like sort of Galactico teams almost in a way, going head-to-head with yeah. some of the names that you have in there. The other yeah, thing, that... the, the interesting thing with him is, if Chelsea are just this dominant with him there as well, does that elongate Jose's time there? Because at this point, we're thinking Jose's the fucking man. And I remember him when he got sat by Chelsea, we were all, we were all shook. Yeah. And much it looked like he was starting to fall out with people, whatever. We don't know what we now know about Jose, that he's probably always going to be short-lived. At this point, we're thinking he could just be the next dominant guy in English football. He could be taken over. For a while, we're shocked just when they lose a game at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, yeah. They literally had become the what Fergie had built at United. Where like, this is the dominant team. How the hell are we going to overcome this? And does this shorten Fergie's time? Does he retire sooner? Because as soon as he realised things weren't going his way, he could not got out of there faster. If Chelsea, if if Chelsea are really making him work for some of these titles, I'm, I mean, he still turns up to Old Trafford, so I can't doubt his heart too much. But does he say, "Look, get someone else in"? <laughs> and if he does leave sooner, then that that is true. We're looking yeah. at some horrible managers that could come in and take over. <laughs> What would they have done? No, I, I think, I think he, I think he hangs on and he goes into sort of like what Arsene Wenger became in terms of just scrapping as for as long as he can. I, I mean, you're right. You're right though. Like with all the points that we just spoken about, there, the biggest difference being six points. They don't win those seasons. And then Fergie has not won a Premier League in five years, and he's probably thinking, right, it's time to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think that time, that time period earlier in his United when he considered retirement. I think you definitely a few years older I think you're definitely thinking at that point you're thinking I don't need this Mourinho guy at Chelsea I'll probably hand it over to someone younger and then Dave Moyes years starts earlier and there we go those those Chelsea teams were always kept with a certain level of freshness because the investment didn't stop either so even if the midfield there is consistent 
Now, Makaleli is going to come to a halt at some point. Maybe they sign SCN later and SCN comes in behind, or maybe they just sign the next best guy to go in and uh, sit in the middle of the park. I, we wouldn't have put it past them. Look, Mascherano, maybe they pick up from West Ham and they bring him in because why would I go to Liverpool? Gerrard's not there. They're not competing. Torres is at Chelsea. What am I going to do? Go there for? The next guy is going to be in there. They're going to keep getting the best guys up top. The defence picks itself. They still bring in Ashley Cole. Um, in the same summer in which they would have brought in Gerard, This team would have been the team that were probably looking at the City one and saying, OK, we'll compare these two. I think the Invincibles you leave off the table. They didn't lose a game. <laughs> the other ones you're saying, look, well, that Chelsea team have beaten this City team. Maybe Jose then becomes a one-club man because he's not going to walk away for a winning team. So who knows what the hell happens? My mind's blowing at this a little bit. I didn't know this. I'd kind of shut it out my mind that the margin of points difference was this short. I think we look back on those times and especially at now, we go, oh, this is the greatest rivalry ever with City and Liverpool because they keep pushing each other, which to be fair, they do. It's like, it's ridiculous. But trying to beat a Fergie Man United team in the Premier League to the Premier League title there's his own separate challenge in itself a little bit. I don't... Just, just good yeah, the, the thing is that in the same way you look at the Liverpool-City one now and they got rivalry and it's very easy to say, well, this team's won this and this team's won this. Is it that much of a rivalry? And the same on paper can be said for the United-Chelsea one. But it's another I, one where you look a bit I closer. Think, yeah, I mean, I think the real Chelsea-United rivalry, as you touched upon earlier was from 2004 to about 2011 when we like beat them to the Premier League trophy for the last time that we were both really competing for it. I think... 2010 is the last one that you won in that time. Yeah, yeah. 9 Sorry, yeah. So those five or six years, that's when that rivalry was at its hottest and we won it twice in a row. Then they won it twice in a row, I think, as well. And then we come back at the end. So... It's just, yeah, it, that rivalry was always a big game. Chelsea United, always around November time. Always has been. Was again this year as well. Almost always a horrible game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not always that fun. No. And... When, they start, when they start getting fun, we've, we've both kind of gone past our peaks a little bit. You know, <laughs> yeah. In like the 2012 era when there was that 3-3 draw at Stamford Bridge. And when we it... beat... It's a lot different when it's a shit game, but you at least have one of the teams to root for. Like when it's these two and it's shit teams and you're kind of going, look, if we had to wipe two teams off the planet. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know which I wanted to lose when I came into this. Why are my eyes bleeding <laughs> an hour in watching these two not do anything? Proper so, games, wars of attrition, weren't they? Well, they weren't. It was kind of just very passive and it was like, well, neither of us want to lose, so let's play these games out. Which is tends to be often how those how big games tend to be, isn't it? It's what makes the Liverpool City games a little bit freakish. Yeah. Uh, I think you could look through them. Do. There's no two twos in those draw. They're they're nil nils and one alls, and the one alls is like okay, two goals around the thirty fortieth minute, and then we both say as the game ticks on, look, we'll wait and see who slips up against everyone else. Interesting thing is, is when Chelsea are cooking right at the start of the Jersey time. Man United have got nothing for it. It's when Chelsea have to come down a little bit and then we've got a, a fight on our hands. Yeah. 
Interesting. I remember having to beat United to to win the Premier League, and we think we do them three 0 Joe Cole and Carvalho. Oh yeah. Great. Yeah, great. yeah. I saw people saying yesterday about how seriously Mark Noble was taking Soccer Aid. I think I should have been turning a little bit to Joe Cole because that man was determined. <laughs> I, I would say as well that Mark Noble just come off the back of being a professional footballer for the last season. So like, it, was it Soccer Aid when they played Jermaine Defoe to win the game whilst he was still playing? Like, yeah, this I, I was at that fan. one and it, it's... I mean, I had a decent day out, but it's, it's one of the worst footballing experiences I've ever, I've ever been to. <laughs> it, it's it's the equivalent. I know that is kind of the MO, so I'm sounding like I'm surprised, but it is very much... Uh, Kids everywhere. Heap show, rainbow rhythms, everyone come in here, let's just have a good old time. Um, got in the game early and over the tunnel where they said, and we have Craig Charles here. We've got an hour-long... <laughs> Funky techno, <laughs> funky techno set to get everyone in the mood. Let's get grooving. <laughs> That's what you want for a football game. We've yeah. got, got an ex-footballer right. against Sakil a lot on there. It was so hot as well, and hot weather's not for me. I'm sure you'd rather have stayed on the pitch, but what was that ovation like from the Chelsea fans? Um, I was more happy with the ovation from the Liverpool fans. Um, I think Chelsea fans have showed respect for a couple of seconds for me, but they've slaughtered me all game, so I'm not going to get drawn into wishing the Chelsea fans very well. It was nice of them to turn up for once today. Um, but yeah, you know, if you get a stand innovation at a stadium, it's always nice, but what's important to me is the support from the Liverpool fans, and they've been with me since day one. Jose Mourinho described you as his favourite enemy. Do you feel the same about him? I've got huge respect for him. Um, he's the best manager in the world for me. Um, I had a sign for him three times if, if I weren't a Liverpool fan and Liverpool weren't in my heart. Um, he's the reason why my head was turned uh, on a couple of occasions, but he understood why I couldn't do it and it's because I love Liverpool Football Club. Do you ever wonder what might have happened if you'd have followed him to Real, Inter or even to here? I did at the time. Um, but for me, I you know I always said to myself when I sat down with my dad and my brother, um, if I win a couple of trophies at Liverpool, It'll mean an awful lot more to me if I win 10 at Chelsea or Inter Milan or Real Madrid. Um, it always means more when you win for your people. Gerard's legacy, as it stands, is being a one-club man, a man who showed up in the big moments for Liverpool, but was ultimately unable to secure a Premier League title. With a move to Chelsea, what may his legacy have been? And how would it have affected the other players around him? Now, when I think of Lampard, I think of the statistics. And when I think of Gerard, I think of the moments. And that's not to be detrimental to Lampard. On the record, Lampard, I prefer him of the two. If the two were playing together, do you think either have the same reputation? Because Lampard, 177 goals from midfield in the Premier League. Gerard is in second place with 120. Is, is there any world in which Gerard takes enough from Lampard there? that if it hasn't tipped, it's certainly a lot closer in that maybe when the debates are happening, we'd say, oh, Lampard was the highest goal scorer midfielder, but look, Gerard was the one who enabled him to do that. Maybe that's the narrative and how things switch. Potentially. I think a lot of Lampard's goals are born out of Drogba being an absolute nuisance up front and just bullying defenders in it. They're also worried with him. It pops out to a bit of space and Lampard just blasts it from 15 yards. That's a lot of his goals. Um, which I'm not... 
I'm just saying that if Gerard's in the team, I think the ball's coming from different angles. I don't think... I think it detracts from Frank's numbers. I don't think he adds to his numbers if Gerard's in the team. I think they're more evenly spread, if anything. Yeah, you'd have to assume, I think, probably a little bit of Frank's and probably add a little bit more to Gerard's being in a better team. Probably, there'd probably a slightly evening of, of those numbers, but not... I think the format we have currently is probably still in place. I think Lampard's still going to be the goal-scoring machine and Gerard more of an all-rounder. Does does Gerard impact enough in which you can't mention Lampard's record without talking about Gerard? Probably. Whether it's being a facilitator, whether it's just being the base of that midfield, uh, being slightly deeper in that meal, midfield to give him the free reign? Or is if it just can... Lampard? That's what he is. If you consider at this point, they'd have ended up having like the prime of their careers alongside each other. Yeah. Then you, you know, they already have charisma. It's almost hard to mention one back. Yeah. Them. So imagine they were in the same. It'd be impossible. They'd be inextricably linked. I just remember the issue, we're giving Gerard credit for Lampard's achievement in that sense. I think where we would most emphatically is that if he comes in, Charles have the success we're talking about. But certainly, if they win a Champions League, you're going to go. Well, this guy was able to win a Champions League with a poor Liverpool team, then gets a transfer to Chelsea. They couldn't get over the hump in Europe. All he's had to do is walk through the door and they've done it. And people are suddenly looking at Gerard and giving him a lot of credit on this. And maybe that is to even to Lampard's detriment where they're going to go, well, yeah, this guy was a difference maker. It could be that Lampard Lampard still has the records, but if Gerard's got the goals in those games, then it the could still moments. be very similar. That Gerard has the moments, but mm. ultimately when, we, when we're having these discussions... We're more so pointing out the game in Istanbul. We're pointing out the game in the FA Cup against West Ham, which wouldn't have happened, by the way, because it would have been at Chelsea. But that could have just been the way this conversation turns. Maybe it's Gerard gets the goal in Moscow. Whether Maybe it's Gerard gets mm. the goal that beats United on the last day. Or it, it could be that kind of thing. So it's certainly Gerard's legacy isn't going to be being known as the best player to never win a Premier League. We have to assume he gets one with Chelsea. It would be pretty disastrous if they didn't win one, wouldn't it? Christ, could you imagine? Uh, if we talked about curses, then we would have to assume that man is cursed. <laughs> After Istanbul, for all that we think of the potential move to Chelsea and as successful as it could have been, does Gerard retire as more of a Liverpool or Chelsea legend? What if he has this, this Chelsea career? If he has this Chelsea career... Christ... Because think, if, if Liverpool go the direction in which we're thinking, that Champions League <laughs> might mean even more than it does now. You say that, though, but he'd have been... I mean, the death threats that he got and the protests that happened when it was looking like he was going to sign for Chelsea, um, they would have only got worse. And I look at it now and I think his whole life will be different because, obviously, he's Liverpool le- legend, retired as such, and he's kind of like the next manager in waiting as to when Klopp finally wants to go. And you almost feel like that's the pathway. That doesn't happen if he goes to Chelsea. I don't know. What I think is interesting here is I went back to look and I looked at the BBC Sport pages and the Sky Sports pages of when the news was being released, when Liverpool put their statements out, that, look, this guy is going to leave. He submitted a transfer request and we're kind of resigned to losing him. I think they even knew. I think that's a direct quote from the statement. Um, 
a lot of the comments that you see on those pages aren't so much against Gerard. I mean, you do always get the minority outside the stadiums and training grounds, and you get it for far lesser players than Gerard. In time, when the news comes out, like there's a certain level of Arsenal fans, and I may be in the minority there. I look at Fabregas differently now. I look at Nasri differently now. Van Persie is the only one where, as much as I kind of understand what he was saying, the United one was maybe a bit too far. So maybe it it doesn't change too much there. But the comments in these sections are all directed at the club. And as more news comes out that, look, Gerard was waiting for this offer to come through. It was just that he felt disrespected. He didn't come on the table. They looked at other things first. The, the excuse they ultimately use is that the Chiefs at Liverpool needed a holiday. And so they'd said, we'll deal with the Gerard contract and we get back. <laughs> it could be that the anger is directed at the club, the worse they get. And so Gerard maybe doesn't get off scot-free, but in time they do look at Istanbul and say, look, what, what a moment that was. We couldn't have done that without him. I'll still respect him for everything he did for the club. I I don't see that. I, don't, I, I reckon, put it this way, are they burning every time he steps out of Anfield in a Chelsea shirt? Yes, mm. they are. What do you um, think, CK? Do you do you think there's a way in which Gerard gets the best of both worlds? He he leaves. He's won the Champions League with Liverpool. He goes to have the success with Chelsea, and he can still return to Anfield. No, ultimately, you are right to point out there was uh, a sentiment amongst parts of the fan base at the time that, that this club's not a serious club. You can't really blame the guy for wanting to go. He's got ambitions. This club isn't going to win anything soon. They don't have much money. They're not near winning anything. Chelsea are good to go. They're going to win things. So you can understand it. But there's obviously a bigger part that was going to be hurt. And also, you always, it always hurts more when a player leaves and is successful and is more successful than you are. Yeah. And obviously, he would have been probably the most extreme version of this. Where you, I don't know what Liverpool would do in this period without him. I have a pretty confident idea of what Chelsea would do. <laughs> so, um, Jack, right, a... every time... Every time he pulled on a Chelsea shirt, I think even if as comfortable as you could get with it, you would then see it and then it would kind of bring it all home again, I think. How did it feel? I put the picture up on our Twitter page of Gerard in a Chelsea shirt to promo this episode. I, I wondered how that felt looking at that. felt a lot like it has done for this whole podcast, actually. <laughs> um, is, 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 there could be a case where... Really hurt when I saw people liking and retweeting as well. Yeah. That's, that's definitely it. That Gerard gets credit for at least delivering the Champions League before leaving. Like... I'm relating it back to Arsenal, but when we lost the Champions League final, there was a sense of, look, we could have a double whammy here and it could be we've lost the Champions League final and Henri leaves. He gives us one more year and then he, then he leaves, to be fair. Mm. But if you lose and if we're eradicating the success in Istanbul, then you've probably been battered and it perhaps only gets <laughs> yeah. worse. Yeah, true. And he leaves on the back of that. I do wonder if there is a sense in time that because you won it, I think some if, credit for that. I'm not expecting there to be uh, fireworks going off every time he steps, steps back into the ground. No, I think it, it, in a long-term thing, I think time sort of helps with this. As you've seen with Arsenal players, there's been a lot of hatred, a lot of those that have left over time. I think that would help with him. And I think if the club just continually made bad decisions and didn't do anything, I think fans would ultimately have to go, yeah, he probably made the right decision. But I don't think they'd ever be particularly comfortable with it. The other thing is as well, let's say even if you take out the 
club allegiance sort of thing here. Chelsea are the dominant team in the country at this point, and you're one of the best players in the world, and you go there. It is a, a lot like the Durant going to the Warriors sort of thing, isn't yeah. it? Probably like the situation with Harden at City now, where it's just going to be like, this was a pretty stacked deck, and you just joined it. What does this all mean? If you win a league, what does that mean, really? And maybe I would say that, because I'm a Liverpool fan. <laughs> what does that really mean to you? Because you just kind of like, oh, they were winning stuff anyway. I don't know. I don't think that really counts as the same in a way. A different level of career. I think he would find that as well. I think he would be in yeah. a spot where he thought he needed to win all the stuff and it all probably feels a little bit hollow. What What I would say to this, though, is all these big rivalry games. I mean, I think, for me, the Chelsea-Liverpool rivalry, I mean, started in that last game of the season at Stamford Bridge, I think it was 2003. Um that we, either of us had to win to basically get Champions League football. Mm. Ended up us getting bought by Roman Abramovich. <clears throat> That's when it kind of started. And then it progressed into Champions League semis two years in a row and three years in a row. So, Gerard... Just kept being, playing each other. I know. But it, just kept playing each other. We had to have a rivalry. We just couldn't avoid each other. It seems. Yeah. These big games and these massive occasions, if... Gerard's on the winning side. I think he becomes more hated because of it. In mm. these, and because I know I don't think he's that, particularly liked by many people that aren't Liverpool fans as it is. I'm not sure there's a turning too much. So the I think for the most part, people dislike Gerard Lampard <laughs> and Skulls. So you just hear the least from Lampard, so he probably gets off a bit lighter than the others. I, I meant more from like a Liverpool fan perspective. Like, okay. Yeah. 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 They, they particularly. See, because we've obviously got past you in the 05 semi. If we then start getting beat by you yeah. and it's on him, <laughs> doesn't look good, does it? I just think no. the idea of cherishing it could be different. And I'll ask you, TK, because me and Jack see it from different ways. But in terms of success, I mean, do you see Fabregas as more of an Arsenal legend or a Chelsea legend? Like he, did, he didn't win a single trophy with Arsenal. But I would say most people still remember him for his time at Arsenal more than they do his time at Chelsea. Yeah, I do. And it's weird, that, isn't it? Because it's not just that he obviously won, uh, won a league title or whatever at Chelsea. It's that he was very good in that as well. It wasn't yeah. like he was just a, a bystander in it. Yeah, whether I don't know whether it's just uh, he had longevity at Arsenal because that's where he came through yeah. or what. But uh, you brought up the point about him getting compared with Balak. So even amongst the Chelsea fan base, it's probably maybe yeah. not fully seen as... It's more of just a, a stick to beat Arsenal fans with, I think. Than... I, I've... I think like he was at his most explosive when he broke through at Arsenal. Was that he was? Mm. I could do a whole podcast on him. I've never seen a midfielder like him in the Premier League, and that includes the 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 several that we've spoken about today. Um, When when he when he got to us, he was a different player to that. He wasn't the dribbling maestro. He was like string puller, absolutely outrageous assists. Um, Two very different players. I feel. Did it make it better or worse? I don't know how much you remember from the saga, TK, because we would have been, what, 10 or 11. The fact I remember that too much. Gerard, this wasn't a thing that came out of the blue, and it wasn't a thing where now the agents will do a lot of the dirty work. Mm. Gerard was coming out, and prior to the game against uh, Olympiakos, where he has another moment for his film or whatever it's going to be down the line, <laughs> he's openly speaking and saying, well, look, if we're not in the Champions League and we're not competing next season, I don't know if I can still be here. I need to be able to look back at the end of my career 
and say that I competed and I won everything that I could try and win. He may have played himself by the fact that he goes on to have this legendary moment in Istanbul if it was that he wanted to leave, by the way. I don't think he looks back with regret like I shouldn't have won that Champions League. <laughs> but it may have been, do you think it would have been easier to leave if that's the case? Maybe more people would have said, well, look, fair play, you're too good for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that, if that Champions League run doesn't happen, I think people go, yeah, I, I understand how you leave. If they, what should have happened really, you probably lose the quarterfinal to Juventus. None of this happens. And just like a year prior when he came close to joining Chelsea, this one, you go, yeah, this, this team is, I think they end up finishing nearly 40 points off Chelsea this year. It's, it's just it's, not. You go, it's going nowhere. This, this team isn't going anywhere for a good few years. You can, again, things we touched on, emotionally, all the fans aren't going to be happy. But as a logical decision, you're going to go, yeah, I can, I can get it. It's big kind of relegated player energy, isn't it, where the... Well, look, I was involved in us not winning these things, but I also don't feel I deserve to be lingering around in the championship with the rest of you. I'm too good. I'm going to leave. And maybe yeah. it looked at Gerard a bit like that kind of ditching I, when they were out there, needed you, needed him the most. It's unfair because we're obviously not, it's not as big a disparity, but there would be a similar sort of sentiment as what we've ended up with Grealish with City, where parts of the Villa fan base have gone, yeah, fair play to him. Apart from our genuinely furious still just yeah. left. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can. I mean, there's, there's not a more logical decision than leaving Villas go sit here. What's the matter with you, lads? But some of them will always be. Look, this is our club. You don't leave. Yeah, because Gerard kind of he did, kind of did everything right in terms of getting back in line with the fan base, didn't he? He offered the captain's armband back, and he goes yeah, and wins yeah. a trophy. He goes and wins a trophy the next year. So in terms of getting things back, I think he was booed for one game. I read in a fixture against TNS the ultimate uh, banker for your actor in what must have been what like an FA Cup qualifying game unless it was a friendly I don't know no that was um, the first round of Champions League qualification because Jesus. where we'd obviously yeah. we'd won the Champions League but finished fifth they were like yeah. okay you can come back in but you've got to go from the very first round so they must have changed the rules after that surely because that is mental so that's when it became that whoever finished fifth would take the place of whoever finished fourth. Because obviously they couldn't do it that year because Everton would have rot- had a, <laughs> no, a riot. As it was, they didn't get through their qualifying against Villarreal. No. Um, so yeah, so they made a special exemption to our Liverpool's in at that point. And then after that, changed it to fifth, taking fourth. And unfortunately for Spurs, they found out that's a pretty tough, pretty tough rule. That's so funny. So Spurs. Um. Could Gerard have done enough in his time at Chelsea to eclipse Lampard's legend status? After moving from Liverpool, could he, one, get in the Lampard Terry Club, which Jack's spoken about, but I think we did statues the other week, and those were the two that were kind of uh, held up as the biggest Chelsea legends. Could Gerard do enough, one, to get amongst those two, and two, Jack, to eclipse either of them? I think Terry's probably out of the question, but could he have done enough to get above Lampard? Oh, I think joining at that time, Lamps had already been at the club for what four years. I want to say yeah. two thousand and one. He came, I think. Um, <clears throat> I think just longevity and how much he lived and breathed the club, kind of thing. I, I just, I can't see. I just can't see a scouser in a Chelsea shirt. I think <laughs> is still weird. Like Ross Barkley just doesn't seem right. Do you know what I mean? I think that's, fairness, that's not it, just Chelsea. Yeah. 
He's done his best not to live up to the shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's lucky that Danny Drinkwater was around. <laughs> that that I don't know. I honestly couldn't even I couldn't even guess. The uncomfortable truth is that they would have ended up sharing, obviously, almost all the success that Lampard's had at Chelsea. What they've had one Premier League title prize to just move in that case. Yeah. So any success they have, they'd have ended up sharing, which does. The, Even the if you split, they'd have had to split their legacy a little bit. Maybe, as you said, maybe Terry, just because he's in a different position, it's a slightly different scenario. But Gerald and Lampard, yeah, they'd have ended up splitting. It would have been almost on as even in a way. How, how does it help the Gerard Lampard skulls debate? Because you've got to think, anytime United fans are making that argument, after they've said that he can hit a tree from 40 yards, <laughs> they're probably then saying that one of these has the other to rely on. What about the Zidane quote? When's that coming? Don't get me started. Well, I mean, I've read one at the start from Ibra saying that we wouldn't even mention uh, Xavi and Iniesta if these two played together. So he had very high hopes and he was eradicating history and he played with the two of them, which is even more bizarre. Um, You've got to think, from those of us that didn't have uh, any chips on the table... Are, does our does our United hatred align enough where we'll just say either of those two are better than Skulls? And I, I do think both are better than Skulls anyway. But or does it get held against them as we've kind of said a couple of times? And Skulls maybe gets an easier ride because he was obviously playing with such awful midfielders at United. <laughs> I think it would probably aid their joint legacy, and I think. Who knows? We could have seen two different players at international level. We could see players that have dragged us to a World Cup win and we wouldn't mm. even bother comparing them. We just love them for who they are. Who knows? If United still obviously overcome Chelsea, though, yeah, it's going to end up being a pretty resounding one for Scotland. It's going to go, well, you two teamed up and you still couldn't get it done. Yeah. Now, that's probably unfair when you consider United at this point they're going to have Ronaldo, Rooney, Tevez, whatever. You think how much heavy lifting was Scholes doing? But that, these things, I find context often isn't taken into uh, account in this debate. So skulls would be front, front and centre, I imagine. It, would the the biggest crime in this move happening, Jack, be that we don't get the slip moment? <laughs> that, that just being erased from Premier League history. Could somebody just phone me an ambulance? Issue? This has been a tough <laughs> evening. <laughs> I, I was thinking when TK was on the pod, thinking, God, this is going to be a very uncomfortable hour. Yeah, apparently uh, this week, what if Gerard joined Chelsea next week? What if your mum did a viral <laughs> sex tape? Presumably, is <laughs> so, what we're doing here. I don't know. I'm I'm on the deck. You're just With Paul Scholes. <laughs> um, I mean, you're robbed of a few lovely moments, aren't you? That we've spoken about with own goals and cup finals. <laughs> back passes and things like that. Um, let let me flip one round for Jack then. So had Gerard joined Chelsea, of course, there'd be no widespread assumption now that his path automatically led back to Anfield. Perhaps he and not Lampard would have been the guy that you turned to when how, they needed a manager in 2019. How about, I actually thought this, that Lampard still would have taken the job when he did. But now, Thomas Tuchel leaves Chelsea next year. Gerard comes in from Villa and does a better job. And now where does that <laughs> leave the legacy debacle? 
<laughs> the conversation. I think, Maybe... yeah, I think it's bad on Frank if, if we bring his managerial legacy in. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's been hard done by if that's the case. <laughs> well, I love that, but the Chelsea fans still chant about Gerard Stiffel on his ass whilst he's the manager. Well, yeah. I, I actually went back <laughs> and watched his interview after Chelsea fans gave him a stand innovation in 2015. Now, Mourinho speaks for four minutes uninterrupted about what an incredible player Gerard is, how it's a sad day for him because he's got worse as a manager just by the fact that he doesn't have to prepare to face Steven Gerrard anymore. As and it was, he was getting worse anyway, yeah. <laughs> as it turned out. He says... Part of him is glad that they never got to link up because it meant that he got better every single day, just having to think of ways to prepare for this incredible player. And all of these things he, he reels off. Um, it's good for him that he got to stay at Liverpool and he, he has them giving him a standing ovation. He Is this a see... dream for Jose, technically? It was one of those things where if he actually had sex with this woman, it wouldn't add up <laughs> to what his dream <laughs> thinks it would be like. Well, he, he does say that he doesn't see that there was any sense of irony in the Chelsea fans giving a stand-in ovation to Steven Gerrard and that it was entirely just to appreciate him as a player. Gerrard responds by saying, I was more than happy with the ovation from the Liverpool fans. Chelsea fans have had respect for a couple of seconds today and then have slaughtered me all game. I'm not going to get drawn into wishing Chelsea fans well. It was nice of them to turn up for once today. <laughs> incredible the it, it, anger it, in his face in that interview is something else it literally i remember that game very clearly the whole stadium was just singing the slip song yeah <laughs> start to finish like literally start to finish and but with the only interval being when we got the standing innovation and then as soon as he sat on the bench he started singing the song again so it was a bit of a weird moment i have to huh? say how do you think Dunbar Bar feels about his name rhyming with fucking ass? <laughs> <laughs> there must have been a point mid-game where he's are they singing my name? Oh, okay, brilliant. I think I think if you remember, he went through that period of doing like a few interviews and he, Saying went, he doesn't like, like it. Yeah, and he went like viral and stuff like that. And he, I think at one stage he, he just said that he likes the fact that his name's son. Like, that's <laughs> it's not the circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> And I think he says he enjoys being a part of like Chelsea folklore with that goal. I think he's he's said that in the past. It, it is it is so interesting that we do have this thing with Chelsea signings where every so often a signing and I mean we see it now with Lukaku, not to bring that up, Jack, but Brilliant. a signing that just looks like it cannot fail does. And <laughs> there could have just been this one in a hundred chance that yeah, Gerard just was that guy maybe he goes on a torres like downfall after where we we're patronizingly applauding when he scores in like the spanish cup third round from two yards out <laughs> just and people are going is he completely finished no i mean i don't know <laughs> <laughs> he could have been that that one yeah i mean i don't see it I think <laughs> I, just, I I can't see it not working. But hey, I I foresaw Lukaku not working, but then I've seen a lot of star <laughs> strikers fail at Chelsea, so I have experience in this. And the, the all... only potential I could assume for failure, I think there could have been some teething issues naturally getting a player that big into the team. And if 
there'd just be so much scrutiny on it that there'd just, just be a panic. And you've got an England 2.0 on your hands where it's there's just so much pressure on this one decision. Wouldn't have taken and long Jose- for that to get going, would it? And uh, and they'll probably go, well, well, fuck it then. Chelsea, at this point, is a ruthless winning machine. They go, right, you can fucking get back out then. Chelsea probably goes, well, we've been winning stuff about you. I'll have to b- bomb you out. It would have been quick as well, wouldn't it? It would have been a falling out with Jose. And it would have been, Stephen Gerrard wants to return to Liverpool and he's putting out kind of messages to Liverpool fans, feeling if he's got a route home or not. They do, the, they do the he's coming home. Liverpool are, we're up for it, but we don't want to spend more than £8 million. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's not going to work, is it, lads? You're going to have to figure something <laughs> out. Yeah. Who, was it, who was it that Jose famously pointed at in the dressing room and said he'd pick the kit man ahead of him, that he'd never play for Chelsea again? Joe Cole. <laughs> Jesus. It was, Joe, it was Joe Cole. He said that... I think he'd gone in on one of his tirades and um, he was just naming random people in the room so he, it was either Joe Connor or Ricky Carvalho. It was one of the two. At least Carvalho is Carvalho. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it is and I think it's Joe Cola who tell the story recently. That was, yeah, on the Peter Crack podcast, that was it. He said, the kit man's just unassumingly just stood around and he's getting points to that going, and I'd pick him ahead of you. Yeah. You will never play for this club again. He's going on naming like Robert Hooth. He's going on naming like Gallas. Going around naming all the centre backs. And dragged out, like you said, the kit man and everyone else. <laughs> he looks at Boularoos. Okay, maybe not him, but everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Num- number nine playing at centre back. I'll never get over that. With, with what we've said about the trophies that Gerard could have won, and particularly when Ferguson starts, uh, well, retires, and Gerard does have some uh, life left in the tank. After already leaving his boyhood club, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Gerard may have left Chelsea and gone abroad after achieving the titles that he craved. He said, Mourinho came in for me around 2010 when he was at Real. And maybe you think, imagine going to play for Mourinho in the Champions League for Madrid. That would have been an unbelievable experience. Of course it would. But they wanted me to cause a war at Liverpool to make it happen. I had a mad one as well with Bayern Munich and we had some serious phone calls with them. How big a Bayern Munich? Imagine going there. But when that filters away, you think, hang on a minute, I'm Liverpool captain. I'm already at a huge club. Why change? Why would I want to affect my relationship with Liverpool? And we've got a pretty serious Europa League campaign to get with. So, you know, <laughs> get your head down. I don't know what We're threat... We're fourth this year, Stevie. I don't know what threat he was given by a fan. It clearly scared the shit out of him. But he was not even <laughs> going to entertain a move moving forwards. I can imagine. I think it's more... I mean, I'm sure that probably is a factor. He's had two... I think, for whatever we might say about football, I think stressful summers where he didn't know what he wanted he was agonizing over this move and i think once you've said i'm staying i think you don't really want to go back to doing that stuff again so that's your original 2010 is a bit different though isn't it but you're a bit further down the line yeah i I think at that point he's gone i've nailed my colors to the mass at this point he's what 30 around that age i think it sounds a bit depressive i think you've gone well this is my lot on the bit but the uh i think your your point about what do you go i think definitely and then ends up going to Madrid or something if he goes to Chelsea. Because they get a league title or a Champions League. I think he had, ends up moving on, particularly if Jose's career carries on in the direction it goes on. Then I think he goes with Jose to Madrid or whatever. I think that definitely is on the cards. Are you a bit surprised that when he ultimately does leave Liverpool, he doesn't look abroad to one of these other big European clubs? Because his legs hadn't gone to the extent where he couldn't play. I mean, we saw Xabi Alonso playing for Bayern Munich where he could barely run anymore. <laughs> I've got to think one of these clubs if, even if it's just for the namesake I mean Beckham had a good few years out of it 
was not the move anyway, though, wasn't it? The end of his career was just essentially that Liverpool have fudged it. Yeah. And he was looking for somewhere to spend a year or two, really. He's like, I can't retire yet. Yeah. Semi-retirement. So I don't think it was really even about about that. And I think at that stage... Brendan had taken his love out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> his chat lips. The, uh, I think he wanted to be at that point as well. Once you've done it, you want to be a one-club man. And as much as you technically aren't, by going to America, you really are still, aren't you? You're not. Yeah, Whereas if you yeah. do go to a different, a big club, it's maybe not quite the same. Uh, just, just to close out then, the question that we've all gone here is how great things could have been for Gerard. And so I think the final question is, do you think Gerard has any regrets now? It, it ultimately ended up being a fairly self-sacrificial move in not, in not leaving the club when he could have. He did conclude that one trophy with Liverpool was worth several elsewhere, but he only won two in his last decade at Anfield. <laughs> One of them almost single-handedly, and the other was a, was a Carabao Cup. His last six seasons, apart from that one title charge in 13-14, contained more anticlimactic moments than anything else. As his aspirations were gaining, getting more and more, he was playing alongside Paul Koncheski, David Ngog, Lazar Markovic and Charlie Adam. He watched Fernando Torres leave, Xabi Alonso leave, Mascherano leave. He thought Luis Suarez had come in to help save the day. He, he left. Talking about a move to Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> he left after that. And he ends his Premier League career in a 6-1 thrashing at Stoke. Yeah, None of that tough. would have happened if he had joined Chelsea. He, he might not have been the greatest player to ever win the Premier League, but he would have been a multiple champion. Do you think, whether he's not going to admit it in interviews, do you think he has any regrets? Anything that keeps him up? Or, or do you think he's satisfied with, with what he had? Because he could have even stayed a bit longer and just left later. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. It's... Obviously, if he ends up getting over the, the hump with the Premier League, I think then you go, it was all worth it, don't you? Then you've gone, he's got that league, nothing else. Um that's probably the only thing that put the doubt in mind. He probably wonders about that. But I think he probably has enough examples of someone like, and these aren't perfect examples because they obviously wouldn't be as important players as he would have been if he had moved to do a different club. But people like Owen or Torres, where they picked up these medals and they don't seem like they were happy with the moves. They don't seem like it was worth it. I think he probably looks at and thinks, I wouldn't have been happy if I'd moved. So... I think he probably made the right decision. Yeah, that's fair. Jack, you think Gerard stays up at night thinking, I wish I'd joined Chelsea? I don't think he stays up at night. I think it's the fact that he's a Liverpoolian from Liverpool, he plays in Liverpool, sports in Liverpool, makes a whole different scenario, doesn't it? Like, I think he will regret potentially not having those. He's won the Champions League for his boyhood club. I mean, that yeah. would top everything that he won at Chelsea, I would say, anyway. Mm. Um, he said he's happy that he can still bring his kids back to Anfield that he feels he may not have been able to do. Yeah, exactly exactly that. And he'll probably be able to go back there as a manager and who knows, Mike Williams something as a manager and he would not have been able to do that. I don't care what anyone says. If he goes to Chelsea at that time period, there's no route back, I don't think. Because he'd be more of a... He'd be no more as a Chelsea player. He would have won those two cups for Liverpool. Um but then he'd be a multiple Premier League winner with Chelsea, giving speeches at the end of um, end of the season to the crowd, and that's what he'd be known for. 
Um, I think you'd probably more likely see him at Chelsea than you would Liverpool as a manager if that was the case, because that's where he'd have had his most success. Mm. Um, so for, for that reason alone, I think he fits so much better in Liverpool culture-wise as a kid growing up. I don't think he regrets not going. I think he might lustfully look at some of the trophies, some of the Premier Leagues potentially, because that's the only thing he didn't really win. And I think, yeah, I, I, but I do think he'd hold the Champions League with Liverpool over any trophy one with us if he did that's, move. Yeah, that's probably the most important. So ultimately, we're saying he could have been more successful, may not have been happier. So he's satisfied overall, and TK was happy to keep him, although maybe doesn't have the uh, memories to show for it. <clears throat> I'd have yeah. probably been more deeply depressed if he'd left. <laughs> Jack uh, would have liked Gerard to have signed ultimately, but still does have enough memories to uh, ensure he's not kept up at night. Yeah, he's got some brilliant assists for us in the past. So <laughs> I'm saying he actually did sign. Well, there we go. Thank you again for listening to another edition of the spitballing pod we'll be back next week goodbye